Uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7 today. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, quick question before we dive in. Have you ever felt misunderstood or misrepresented? And you're like, man, you, you get the feeling that someone just doesn't quite get you. And uh, I, there's not a lot you can do about that. But um, I was at, I know it's going to be hard to believe, I was at Starbucks the other day. And um, I, I, I go to uh, a lot of them, just depending on where I am in town. And so um, some of them, if you've noticed, if you go there, some of them have put the, uh, the, the, the numeric key uh, punch code locks on the restrooms, uh, I guess, because they want you to uh, go up and embarrassingly ask a, a barista for the code to go to the boys' room. And so um, I, was, I was at one, and I was like, I think I know the code, but I just want to make sure. So I went up to a, one of the baristas, and, and I asked, I said, what's the uh, beep up boop And she goes, one, two, three, four, five. And I looked at her, I was like, okay, okay, slow down. One more time. And she goes, one, two, three, four, five. And I go, could you write that down for me? And she goes... It's one, two, three. And I was like, I'm kidding. I'm joking. And in my mind, I'm like, this is hilarious. I've made her day. She's going to go home and be like, I had the greatest day. This guy was like, what? She looked at me, not even a hint of a smile. I mean, less of a smile than Mona Lisa. I mean, there was like just completely straight face. And she looked at me as if I was a Vinti-sized buffoon. And, uh, and so I, w- I got home, and that's what I said to my wife. I said, honey, I think in my old age, I'm becoming Michael Scott from the office. And she's like, I, what do you mean? I said, I, I, in my mind, I'm funny, and I'm saying something funny, and everyone should, should be having a great time, but no one else is enjoying my company. And uh, I said, that's, that's kind of how I feel. I felt a little misunderstood, uh, a little bit uh, misrepresented. But uh, that's exactly the verses we're, we're going to read today. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is clarifying some misunderstandings about God. Uh, God has historically been misrepresented because he leaves the representation to fractured and frailed humanity. And so uh, there's going to be issues with representation. So in these verses, Jesus is dispelling wrong assumptions about God, and he's, he's really opening our eyes to the truth about him. And again, this is, this is the tail end, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and so this is the first, the, the first verses we're going to read, verses 7 through 12. Jesus is clarifying who God is. Uh, he's, he's making sure that we have a good understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to him. And then in the, in the, in the second, second section of verses that we'll read, 13 through 23, he talks about how to really, truly follow God and pursue him. And so uh, this is what Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12 says. And these are familiar to you, I'm sure. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and it will, you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf of bread? Will give him, he will give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? 
Um, my parents might, but I'm just kidding. Uh, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want for them to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. Um, three things I want to highlight in these verses. Uh, number one, God's nearness to us. How near God is to us. Uh, number two, God's heart towards us. And, uh, and lastly, God's influence on us. And, and again, Jesus is dispelling misunderstandings about who God is in relation to who we are. So, first of all, foremost, God's nearness to us. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And, and, him, uh, and to him who knocks it will be open. Um, Jesus is addressing this misconception that God is far off. That he is uh, distant. That he is removed uh, now, this would have a, a unique um, imagery in at this time. Uh, this is kind of before, this is before the New Covenant. This is before the crucifixion, obviously. And so, in this time, people's only God experience is through m- keeping moral laws, keeping traditions, uh, c- trying to keep up appearances and, and trying to be good for goodness sake, and also there is some interaction in the temple, there's some interaction through a priest, via the priest, to God. And so everything is very distant and removed. There is a a giant veil separating the presence of God from the people of God, uh, from the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, and there was a giant veil. You couldn't go there unless you were a very certain priest uh, who had that position, and it was a very dangerous position because if there was anything wrong going on in your life, you could be struck dead in a moment. So it was a very, it was a very serious business. So there, there, did, there was a, a feeling of distance. Not only that, uh, we, we have this, this intertestamental period that we, we look at. There's no, any, there's no pages. There's kind of a blank page between them, but that moves from Malachi to the book of Matthew, where it's just kind of these 400 years of radio silence from God. And so there's just no prophecy, no word from God, no, no updates, uh, no news ticker. I mean, we didn't know what was going on. So 400 years of complete and total silence. So there was a significant, dramatic sense of distance and separation from God. And so Jesus is saying he's right there. He's always right there he's just just knock he's opening the door just seek he's there just look for him he's there you'll find him and if you ask he's there to respond to you he's close he's near Um, the bible tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need to with confidence to ask to to go to him uh, the Bible also says to, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. Come find me. Come be with me. Not only is God close, He wants to be closer. That's, that's the conversation here. Is how, how much God is leaning forward and interested in loving and adoring you. This is, this is a story of a father 
This is not some mean, angry boss that we have to clock in and, and check in with and doing um, progress reports and doing jo- uh, performance reviews. This is a loving father. Jesus says, listen, who, who's, who's asking their father for a loaf of bread? The father's bringing them a stone. It, this is a good father who gives good gifts, who loves very, very much. So Jesus is, is, is dispelling the idea that God is far off and distant, removed, He's incredibly close. He's close in everything, and he's very involved. We just, our, 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 our posture is to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knock, knocking, and that's the phrasing. It's not just ask once. It's to continual, perpetual asking, uh, always uh, involved with our Father. Number two, God's heart towards us. What man is there among you who, when the son asks for a loaf, he will give him a stone, he asks for a fish, He will not give him a snake, will he? If then being evil, that's us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus is reaffirming God's heart and his true intention towards us. Uh, There is a common still, there is this common belief, an idea, that God is angry and he's looking for any opportunity to dole out punishment, to confront and to dole out punishment. That God is looking for the opportunity to throw a nice little lightning bolt at our butakamus and, uh, and let us feel the, the wrath, the anger, the disappointment of God. We, we, we always feel like we're, we're walking on eggshells as it relates to pleasing God. That is a common belief, and people live with that their whole lives. And that's really the burden of what religion is. It's man trying to impress a God who's not easily impressed. A God who's on the fence about you. And that your, your favor and your, uh, the love of God is constantly in the balance. That at any moment you could disrupt and break this thing and be on the outs. And so Jesus is, is, uh, is reminding us that he is our father and he is incredibly gracious. And in fact, he's unfairly good. Because he makes a statement, if you who are evil give your kids good gifts, uh, that's a reminder that n- no one's righteous, no, not one. Nobody, none, none of us are righteous. None of us are, are truly good. Now, that's not to say we're not good people, we're not nice people, or we're horrible people. That has nothing to do with it. I'm talking about if, if put up against the righteousness of God, the perfect right standing of God, we fall dramatically short. We don't even show up on the radar. And so he's saying if, if people who don't even show up, up on the radar of, in terms of righteousness are good enough to give their kids good gifts... How much more this righteous God who loves you enough to die in your place, that's his demeanor towards you. That's his posture towards you. In fact, the question is not, am I lovable? The question is, how loving is God? So we always think of it from our side, do I deserve? Well, well listen, if we're talking about deservedness, the answer is no. But it doesn't. That's, that's where his amazing grace comes in. And, and he doesn't, and this is a common misconception as well. We think that God saved us so that he could love us. 
God stepped in to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us, so that His love would not be uh, held back because of our imperfection and our sin. Well, John 3.16 says the opposite. That, that God loved us so much that He saved us. So His love preceded even the move that He made to save us. So He loved us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we've got to understand that this overwhelming love has nothing to do with performance, has nothing to do with our deservedness, good day, bad day, we're not on the outs. Uh, you, you cannot break God's love. The Bible says that there's nothing you can do, there's, there's, that, that God loves you no matter what, there's nothing you can do, no, no, there's no sin, there's, no, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. It is stronger. God's love is stronger than our sin. God's love is stronger than our weakness. God's love is stronger than our imperfections. And so he's giving us a different angle on this God that, that is believed to be distant and easily angered. And he's saying, no, 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 the opposite is true. He is closer than you could ever imagine. And he loves you more than you will ever, ever know. And lastly, all of that creates something in us. And that is the third thing, God's influence on us. In everything, in absolutely everything that we do, therefore treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. You see the word therefore. And that's, that's cause and effect. So the word therefore is saying that because of what we just read, therefore this is our response. And so because... God is intimately close because God loves you, because God is unfairly good, because God is amazing and gracious and loving towards us. Therefore, we should turn our attention outward and share that goodness with other people. Be concerned with others. Now, this is another way that God, Jesus is dispelling a misunderstanding. And so uh, I, I've had so many conversations. I've been in church my whole life, so I've had conversations with so many, countless Christians, believers, both you know, within our church family, outside of, other pastors, people from other denominations and other walks of life. And, and I, I've come across this idea a lot. I've read books about this idea a lot, that this life is meant to be lived uh, with our nose to the grindstone doing our best to make sure that God is pleased and that in every single thing that we do, we are consciously, deliberately glorifying God and avoiding anything that wouldn't. And then that sounds noble. There's something about that that sounds pure and right. But then you think about it, and you're like, that is an entire existence completely focused on me. So what happens when we take a step back and realize that what Jesus is saying here is his goodness is a free gift to you and that you're not working to merit this. You're not working to secure this. It is given to you freely. So everything that that so many people are, are spending their lives focused on, consumed with and working for You start with it. You already have it. You're not working for forgiveness or love. You're working from it. You have it. Now you're free to turn your attention off of just you and start looking at other people. 
That's the flow. That's the, that's the sequence of what Jesus is leading us into. He's saying, God's good. He's near. Seek Him. Ask Him. Knock. He's there. He's close. He's good to you. Every good gift is from above. In Him you have everything you need. Now, and it seems unrelated because it's like it's talking about God, God, God. Then it says it, it, the golden rule. This is the golden rule. Treat others as you want them to treat you. Like, what does that have to do with what we're just talking about? Jesus, Jesus, the captain of the, the savior of segways. He is so good at just transitioning off onto a topic that's seemingly unrelated, but it never is. It's always related. And it's deeply tied to this idea. If we, if we know what we have in Christ, our attention will turn off of self onto others. And so that's what he's saying. God's influences on, his influence on us is to turn our eyes off of ourselves because God's got me. I'm free to focus on the people around me. He even says this. This is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the culmination of what we've been communicating since day one. This is what all this conversation, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the, the Old Testament, uh, this is this, the, the writings of the prophets, this is all, the, the, the entire Old Testament. All of this, what we've been talking, forecasting, foreshadowing, the, the introduction to Jesus coming has been a conversation about this, about what we're talking about. Jesus saves, and then we turn our, 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 our focus onto other people so that they can experience his goodness and taste and see that he is good. The fulfillment of the law. It's the entire point. The Bible says that, hey, uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and love your neighbors yourself. On, on these two things hangs the entirety of the law. This is the focus. Outwardly focused on others because of what the inward work that God has done within all of us. So, so he's, he's clarifying who God is and he's clarifying our dynamic with God, and then he goes into, and this, is, this can get dramatic. These next verses get pretty dramatic. He, he, he turns our attention to how do we follow God, how do we pursue God, how do we, how do we make God the focus of our lives? How do we continue to walk following and pursue, pursuing God? So this starts in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and we'll read through verse 23. And talk about it. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the way is broad, which leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? For every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you'll know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, uh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, uh, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Um, Halloween is in a few weeks, and uh, I thought it was appropriate with Halloween being so close that we 
uh, consider one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible. Um, This one has kept me up at night. This one has scared the bejesus out of me. And um, Jesus is describing this nightmarish situation where so many, and in his own words, many, who uh, were confident and assumed they were on the right path their entire life, stand before God himself only to discover it was the wrong path. That's, I mean, that, that we're talking some Wes Craven nightmare on Elm Street stuff. I mean, this, this it, 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 that dream that you have when you're falling and you jerk awake, that's the kind of feeling that this gives me. And uh, I remember, I remember uh, back in the, uh, this whole message is about the 80s, I'm sorry, uh, most messages are, but back in the 80s, there was a, uh, one of the greatest selling albums of all time, Thriller, uh, happened, and uh, I think it was like 84 or something like that, and, uh, and so there was a music video that was made uh, by the, the same guy who did um, uh, the Werewolf in London and all that stuff. And so it was sort of a scary uh, horror movie style music video for the, for, the, for the song Thriller, Michael Jackson. And uh, there's a voiceover by Vincent Price, and it's very ominous. And uh, I was, I don't know, man, I was like six years old, five, six years old when this music video hit. And uh, I remember it come on, and my sister would be watching MTV just always, forever. And uh, it would, that music video would come on. And I'd run, and I'd dive behind the couch, and I'd hide. And I'd peek over the couch every once in a while just to see a little bit. And like, oh, gosh. And so I was completely terrified by this music video, which is silly. But uh, that move, uh, that, was, that, was the, that was the video. So I, 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 was, I tried to avoid it as much as I could. And so... Uh, this verse, I've treated the same way I treated the music video thriller when I was a kid. I, I'm curious. I'd peek in on it. I'd read it again just to see if God gave me fresh revelation. Uh, and I've been, you know, I've been in ministry for half my life, over half my life. And so I would try to avoid it. I'd preach around it. Because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with this. And it was really only in the last several years that, that something started to click and I started to understand What's being said here? And again, we're, we're clarifying, we're clearing up some, some, some complete and total misnomers about who God is and how we, we follow him. I've, I've heard this preached from other people over, throughout my life as a cautionary tale and warning us that we have to stay on the straight and narrow. Right? So the wide path uh, that everyone's on that leads to destruction... Uh, in Christmas terms, that's the naughty list, right? And then you talk about the narrow path, the narrow way, and it's, and it's supposed to be uh, the path that leads to uh, Jesus and, and ultimate, you know, uh, through the blessing, uh, walking through the gates of heaven and being greeted by St. Peter and that whole thing. That's the nice list. And so I've always heard this presented moralistically, and, and based on performance. So the straight and narrow, we use that term in our modern vernacular. He's on the straight and narrow. What does that mean? He's not doing bad things. 
He's doing good things. He's not on the naughty list. He's on the nice list. So to use another analogy, to use a, a metaphor that Jesus himself used, uh, if, we're, if we're looking at the prodigal son story, the, the wide path would, in our brains, according to that definition, the prodigal son is destined for destruction on the wide path. And then his older brother, who's done everything right, who is a perfect Christian boy, has to be on the straight and narrow, right? Well, in an interesting turn of events, let, let, let me describe what the, the, the wide path, the folks on that path are doing, prophesying, casting out demons, performing miracles in your name. He said, yeah, I don't know you guys. So to make, even things, to make things even more difficult, Jesus tells us that along that way, there are going to be people, and he calls them sheep's, uh, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, emphatically pointing us down the wrong path. And saying, no, 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 this is it, seriously, guys. Emphatically, passionately, vehemently pointing us down the wrong path. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. How do we know if ministers and people and people with opinions and people shouting on uh, social media, how do we know that the authors of the books that we read, how do we know that they are not pointing us down the wrong way? Well, the Bible says that we'll know them by their fruit. Now, they dress the part, they act the part, they talk the part, they, they read the Christian manual, they, they went to the Christian conference, the church planning conference, and so the, they, 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 you kind of model and mimic what you see presented as this, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. But for, for whatever reason, there's something off. And what gives them away as bad pointers, Jesus says, is, is their fruits. And then he gives us imagery. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Now, what, uh, that makes no sense. Everyone, no, one, no one thinks you're going to get grapes from thorn bushes. No one goes to a, a, a thistle, which is this weird little weed, prickly weed. No one goes to that and says, so no figs this year? You don't pull a fig newton out of a thistle. Um, he's mentioning these two things, thorns and thistles, intentionally. And this is the audience he's presenting to hyper-focused, understand, have memorized uh, so much of the Old Testament, so they, they would clue in right away and say, I, I know where he's referring to. He's referring to the Garden of Eden. He's making reference to something that is historical, that is documented. And so I'm going to turn your attention to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17, 19. Uh, Cursed is the ground. Now this is right after the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you. You'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You'll eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to the dust you will return. Because of the fall, because of uh, man's sin, because sin entered the equation and man fell because of their own pride and self-salvation and wanting to be their own God, man's attempt to be his own God, because of that, the, the only way to uh, produce was through 
labor, and sweat. And two things were named immediately. The first two things stated that would grow under our own laborious effort, striving and straining, are thorns and thistles. You're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to sweat, and then this is what's going to be produced. Now, thorns have a rich history as an icon throughout the text. And so uh, God delivered the law to Moses. The, the law of God, the perfect standard of God, was delivered to Moses. Moses was on a mountain called Sinai. Um, the Bible describes it as being a very scary, uh, intense moment where lightning is crashing, thunder is, is blaring, it is dark, it is scary. And this mountain called Sinai is, uh, the, the word Sinai means thorny, covered in thorns. So right there we have an association of uh, man's attempt to, uh, to be holy through his own works and actions associated with a mountain that is also associated with being thorn, covered in thorns. Now, we all know the story when Jesus was crucified. Uh, the, uh, the Roman government, the soldiers, put a th- crown of thorns on his head. <clears throat> and this was obviously uh, as torment. It was humiliation. You're saying you're the king of the Jews, here's your crown. And something that was quite painful. But it was also quite significant. And the fact that uh, Jesus took the glory of humanity. Our own glory. Man's glory is what I've done. Look what I've done. Look at me. I'm impressive. I've done great things. What I deserve is a crown of something representing my own labor. That's thorns. So Jesus puts on our crown, what we deserve, in order that we would have his. We trade. Uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful picture in, in the book of Revelations, uh, I think chapter 4, I believe, where the Bible describes leaders and influencers and people who are uh, royalty taking their crowns and throwing them at the foot of the throne. Because they're realizing in light of his glory, mine doesn't matter at all. It's a crown of thorns that represents what we produce. So Jesus is referencing our own works, our own ability to make ourselves righteous and and to bring ourselves to right standing before God. He says a you're going to know people by their fruits. And, and even in that, he, he, he kind of repeats this idea of good fruit comes from a good tree, bad fruit comes from a bad tree. Again, this is hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This, this, is, giving, this is giving a lot of indications to the beginning, in the beginning. The Garden of Eden. He says there's going to be good fruit that's coming on uh, the lives of people who are actually on the right path, that are living this life connected to Christ. There's going to be good fruit. What is that fruit? Well, the Bible, the Bible clearly dis- defines what good fruit is, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Sorry. 
We don't normally do fill in the blanks here, but we're going we're gonna to do Mad Libs. Um, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is contrasted in the Bible with the, the fruits of our own labor. The works of our labor. So, we, we have contrasted. These are fruits of the Spirit, and these are, these are fruits of our own labor. Now, fruits of our labor are, are not at all righteous and not what God's called us to do. This is fruit of our... This is, again, pictured in, in Eden. You've got this, this idea of, of two sons of Adam and Eve. You've got Cain and Abel bringing an offering before God, and one brings the fruit of his own labor. And it's denied. And the other one, Abel, is just kind of... He's minding his own business, and all of a sudden he hears, Oh, here's something. Something God provides... And he presents to God, and God's like, thank you. This is what John 15 says. John 15, verses 4 through 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. Fruits of the Spirit are fruit that we bear because we are grafted in the vine. In other words, it's fruit that Jesus bears through us. I'm not the source. He is. And really, this entire conversation where Jesus is presenting two different choices... He's like, there's a good tree, there's a bad tree. There's, there's a, a, a narrow way, and there's a wide path. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a gate that leads to uh, a, a heaven. There's a gate that leads to destruction. The gate to everlasting life is a, a narrow path. The gate that leads to destruction is a wide path because it's, it's crowded, and a lot of people take that one. So you've got two gates, two roads, two outcomes. He's creating this idea of choice, and what he's allowing us to understand is choose this day who you'll serve. One gate is the gate of me, and the other gate's the gate of Jesus. My righteousness, his righteousness. My works, his finished work. The wrong gate, the wrong road is wide because it's crowded, and truthfully because it allows for us to take everything we want to with us. The gate, that gate is why? Because we don't have to die to anything. We don't have to let go of anything. Because it's all about me, and I can take whatever I want with me. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. The other gate is narrow because it's, A, it's countercultural. It's not, it's not terribly um, desirable to walk that way. To live that way. And two, you only find life through death. We, have, we, we find eternity in letting go. If you consider the idea that, that not just some, but many take the wrong path, you start to get this idea, and, and I, I was, I, I'm guilty of this too as well. I, you start to get this idea that this whole thing is way more complicated than I thought it was. I think the natural response here is like, oh man, this is way trickier and more complicated. When Jesus says there's so many people that take the wide path 
And there's people that could stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did all the right things. I did the stuff I was supposed to do. And that didn't work. It's, it's very similar to 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter of love, where, where, where the Bible says that, hey, you, you can do all these impressive things. You can talk with the, the tongues of angels and man. You can, you can give all your possessions away to the poor. You can be martyred. But if it wasn't love, if it wasn't the proper motivation, if it wasn't the right reason why, then everything else, nothing else counts. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It profits you nothing. So it's not the fruits of our labor. It's not more complicated than we thought. In fact, it's way simpler. Jesus is getting to... He's leading us to simplicity. He's leading us away from the corruption of complexity that is our world. You've got to do A, B, C, all the way through Z, and then repeat until you have fixed yourself. See, I, people are gravitate towards religion. They, gra- they gravitate towards self-help. They gravitate towards self-salvation because it seems manageable and they can understand it, but that doesn't make it simple. It's increasingly complicated. You know this if you're just a a spectator in this culture, this world that we live in. The rules of engagement have changed. the, The rules have changed over the last couple of years. What you can do, what you can't do, what's socially acceptable, what's not, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. It's a constant moving target. And I'm not saying every change as it relates to that is inherently bad. I'm just saying it's, it's impossible to keep up with. And then we project that upon God and we say, well, God is also providing this moving target that based on his mood and my, my day and how my day went defines and determines whether or not I'm in right standing before God. As opposed to being rooted and grounded in his love. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not moving. He is not a moving target. In fact, there's one fixed point. There's one fixed point. And that is Christ. Everything else will move and shake. The world will keep spinning. But one thing, the axis, the north star, the one thing that is forever is Christ. And that's what he's getting at. Is guys, you, you need to get off the wrong path. The wrong path is leading you to destruction. It's not, it's not bringing life to you. It's not bringing fulfillment to you. It is us trying to manufacture something that only God can give. One last verse, and then we'll wrap up. John chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. I, I love this, and it's funny because one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, gets a bad rap, bad reputation, gets a permanent nickname because of one, one off moment. He doubts Jesus one time, and forever he's known as Doubting Thomas. Um, hopefully, 
that doesn't happen to the rest of us. Like, didn't come to a complete stop at the stop sign, Christopher. Uh, the, one, the one mistake I make becomes my nickname. So here's Thomas, who, who really represents all of us in this moment. Uh, Jesus is saying, guys, I'm leaving. This is it. I'm leaving this with you. And so Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Could, could there be a, a more accurate and appropriate question for any of us to ask? Lord, I have no idea where you're going. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're up to. I have no idea where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would know my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. So back to the, uh, the narrow path, the wide path. Back to the pointers, vehemently pointing you. There's so many who will point you down the wrong direction. And their advice, though it's not malicious necessarily, is you know what you've got to do. Fix this, change that, modify this, move this over here, get rid of that, adopt this. You can save yourself. Look at me, I've saved myself. You could save yourself too. Jesus said, no greater man has ever been born to a woman than John the Baptist. His ministry started when John the Baptist was arrested and his ministry ended. In fact, the Bible clarifies, he, he, he starts his ministry preaching the same message John the Baptist preached before him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. That's his one message. In fact, we'll read next week the last part of the Sermon on the Mount and we'll realize that he is still preaching the same message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. He says, no greater man has ever been born to a woman than John the Baptist. What, did, what was so great about John the Baptist? Every single time we see him opening his mouth, no matter where he is, where he is what he's doing, he's pointing to Jesus. Always. Good pointers will always point you to Jesus. Bad pointers will always point you to yourself. There's great friends who are wonderful friends. I'm not saying shake them loose or (laughs) break the relationship. I'm just saying some people lovingly will point you to yourself. And that's why we have to have a steady diet of the good news of the gospel pointing us to Jesus all the time because this world will not do that. In fact, the world will continually point to you and say, you should, you ought, you better. That's the wrong path. So what's the right path? Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's, how do we follow God? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. How, how do we do this? How do we live this life? We live this life abiding in the vine, connected to Jesus, yoked with him. We are in him. He is in us. That is our way. That is the path. And there's not another one. 
This whole all roads lead to God. No, they don't. He said there's no other way. There's no other way. In fact, this whole conversation, Jesus is reminding us who God is, how to follow Him, and He's showing us exactly that with Himself. So He's talking about this is who God is, and this is how you follow Him. Well, walk that out for me, Jesus. Give me the to-do list. Okay, here's the to-do list. I'm it. In fact, it's not even a to-do list. It's a to-done list. It is finished in me. You need to seek me. Everything you need is in me. Pleasing God, all the gifts of God, everything that you need from God, how do we pursue God, how we follow God, how we glorify God. Jesus said simply, if if I'm lifted up, He'll draw all men to Himself. Just, Just make me the focus. There are so many things in our lives that want to distract us, both intentionally and unintentionally, from the point. And Jesus is a constant, fixed point who is the point that we need to be pointed back to and reminded of every single day of our life. Martin Luther once said, I preach the gospel to my people every week because they forget it every week and I preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. We just do. And this is the bad thing about the gospel. And it's the only bad thing I can think of. It leaks. And it's not even an indictment on the gospel. It's an indictment on humanity. Faith leaks, the gospel leaks. That's why we need it continuously. So many people say, well, Chris, I've heard, I've heard the truth. I know the story. I'm good. None of us are good. <laughs> he is good. And we need to be continually connected, abiding in the source. And as we do, we bear much good fruit. And the purpose of that fruit, as the Bible describes, is multifaceted. It shows people who God is, and also it allows people to experience firsthand who He is. They'll know us by our fruit. They, they can see us because of our love. They know that we are Christians because we love, because we serve, because we're present, because we're consistent, because we're there. Not because we're perfect, but because love shines through us. That's not our love. It's God's love through us. We love because He first loved us. And then also people get to experience that in relationship and they start to begin to taste and see that God is good. That this is the way. That this is the truth. This is the life. There is a, there's this beautiful connection from what is eternal to what is not. And as through the connection of the Holy Spirit, us to Him, we are the branches. We move from the Old Testament in Genesis, don't eat from that tree, to the call to be the tree of life. That He has grafted you into the tree of life and He's asking you, just stay connected with me. I'm going places. I'm taking you places. 